The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. This is God's Word coming to us from Exodus chapter 4, and I pray that God would give us all ears to hear and be attentive to what He has to say. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? Moses said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, 
Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So Aaron went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. God, we thank you for your word. quote I heard recently, and I think is helpful as we understand this passage particularly, is we cannot doubt something without at the same time trusting in something else. Say that again. We cannot doubt something without at the same time trusting in something else. Most of you know the story of the first sin of Adam and Eve who were given this paradise by the Lord, who were called to tend to it, enjoy it, be fruitful, and multiply in it. And they were only given one condition. Trust the Lord knew what he was doing when he said to them, do not eat from that particular tree. The tree that would skew them to believe, we know better than God. Or take a thirsty man who comes upon a well and he sees at the top of the well a rickety, weathered wood bucket and he doubts that there could be any use to that bucket to be able to draw water out of the well's hole because there's light and there's space between all of the slats of the dried wood because it's so weathered. It's not going to hold water. By the time the bucket rises up from the water, it'll be empty. There'll be no water in there. We cannot doubt something without at the same time trusting in something else. When Eve took her first bite of the forbidden tree's fruit, she chose to doubt God's word, trade, and trust the snake's lie simultaneously. When the thirsty man came upon the well and chose to walk away from it saying it's no use, he chose to doubt the bucket and trust what his eyes could see. Doubt is a trade-off of trust. And I want to ask us this question today. Where has your mind been filled with doubt? Have you considered that when you're doubting something, you are at the same time trusting something else? Justin Cox, who's a pastor and writer in Florida, polled people with the question, What do you doubt? What specifically do you doubt? And as you hear these responses from people, maybe ask the question, what are they trading? What are they trusting in in their doubt? 
Here's some responses that he got. I doubt any thought that's not backed by science. Another one. I doubt my home team will ever win a championship. I doubt people's motives and that they're really good. I doubt myself. I doubt life after death will be better than life on earth. I doubt reality on a daily basis. I doubt resurrection was one of the responses. Doubt is a trade-off of trust. What do your doubts, friends, say about what or who you're trusting in? Moses was a doubter. In chapter 3, the Lord calls him to be the man, to head into the most dangerous, powerful CEO's office, saying, you must let all of your labor force go free. Moses' doubts quickly begin to fly out of his mouth. Who are you to say that I'm going, who's sending me? Who am I that I could even do this? His doubt in God is traded for his own track record. Moses tried to help God's people before and look where it landed him. In the wilderness for 40 years, Moses tried. They're not going to listen to me. I doubt it. The Lord gives him verbal assurances. I am with you. I'm the God of the past, present, future. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And still, Moses' doubt remains. He's trusting in his own weatherman-like accuracy and predicting the future. Moses continues to doubt the great I am's call upon his life. And he begins today's chapter asking, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they think I'm making all of this up? And the Lord responds to his questions, his doubts, with a single question. What's in your hand? The Lord is prepared to confront Moses' doubts and our doubts in this chapter with a dead stick, with a shriveled hand, with a single cup of water, with a speech impediment, and with a severed foreskin. These seemingly insignificant, confusing, and useless things to trade our doubts and trust this. If I am the Lord is with you, then you are safe and you are saved. I am the Lord. If he's with you, then you are safe and you are saved. I am the Lord who works every wonder, who makes every mouth, and who fathers his firstborn. That's who's with you. So the first point, I am the Lord who works every wonder. We see this in verses 1 to 9. And I hope throughout this passage you see yourself. Because the first few verses with Moses, we see, like us, he's a blame shifter. His first doubt reveals his blame shifting. He says, what if they don't believe me? God has already said they would in chapter 3. So really, who is the one not believing? It's Moses. His question of whether the people of God would believe him is really a question of whether Moses himself believes God. 
And God, in His gracious and loving response to His doubt and our doubts, knows we need more than words, more than words, to what He has to do to make it real. Right? Some of you remember that song. We need to see it in order to believe it. We need more than words. And he asks in verse 1, Moses, what's in your hand? A staff. A dead piece of wood. (laughs) Let me show you what I can do with something so insignificant. Toss it down. Throw it on the ground. Moses throws it on the ground. And the God of wonders turns a dead stick into a deadly snake. Friends, God made this wonder happen. This is real. Do you believe that? This really happened. And look at Moses' reaction. He, he runs away. He backs up. This is a deadly snake in front of him. But God calls him to grab that snake by the tail. That snake which represents Egypt's false god of wisdom and healing. That's who they saw the serpent to be. This is the god of wisdom and healing. The devil himself is who Egypt thought was God. Grab it by your hand. And I am's power is seen over every power as this little shepherd, this doubting Moses, grabs on and the rod becomes the rod of God. This wooden rod is about to rock Pharaoh's world. Believe you me. Do you want more proof of who I am? Verse 6 and 7. Take your hand and put it under your coat. And he pulls it out. And what does he see? He sees a rotting, pasty, white hand. Leprosy. An ailment, no man, no Egyptian even, has been able to cure. The most powerful doctors or magicians have not been able to do anything about leprosy. Well, guess what, Moses? Watch this wonder. Put your hand back in. And out it comes, restored and right. A God who has the power to heal every disease. And if that's still not enough for you, Moses, or for them... Verse 9 says, take water from the Nile. What is the Nile? It's not only Egypt's main water supply, but it's also what the Egyptians believed was the source of life. Take some, a cup of water from that Nile and pour it onto the ground. What comes of it? Blood. Death. A sign that Egypt's going to pay for doubting God as the source of life. And trusting instead in a body of water. If you don't believe, Moses, that I am the Lord of power, then see in my working every wonder through this dead stick, through this healed hand, through this blood from the river, that I am the Lord. See it and believe it. Another doubter was the Apostle Thomas. He would have been one to post online that he doubts resurrection. After all the disciples but him saw the resurrected Jesus, he doubled down on his doubts. He said in John 20, unless I see the nail marks 
Unless I touch those marks with my own hands, unless I put my hand into his ripped side, I will never believe. (laughs) And eight days later, (laughs) coming through a locked door, Jesus invites Thomas to trust the God of wonders. Do not disbelieve, Thomas, but believe. I am the God who is able to crush an enemy with a stick of wood. I'm able to heal your rotting disease of sin with a word of forgiveness, and I'm here to cleanse your substitute sources of life with my blood. Will wonders never cease? I want to ask us this morning, how and what do you doubt about what God can do? Where your eyes maybe even are trumping the Lord in what he's calling you to do. Trade your doubts in for a trust that if this God of wonders is with you, you are safe and you are saved. If he can use a stick to crush a snake, how much more can he use you, modern Moseses, messengers of the wonders of a cross and a resurrection, as he prompts you to speak the great wonders of his love? It's not up to you to convince them to believe you. Instead, it's up to you to believe him and what he's convinced you is true. Let the wonder of your transformed life speak for itself. It's not whether they believe in what you have to say. It's whether you do. Do you believe in the gospel that you are proclaiming? If I am the Lord is with you, the Lord who works every wonder, You're safe and you're saved. Secondly, I am the Lord who makes every mouth. Moses is not only a blame shifter, like us, he's radically insecure. He doubts the I am and trusts instead in himself. And verse 10 reveals Moses' insecure faith in the Lord as he pleads with him, Please, my Lord, I am not a wordsmith. I am not a word man, he says. And instead of using the name Yahweh, I am to talk to the Lord, Moses uses a lesser title, Adonai. It's like, your majesty. And it demonstrates his doubt in the Lord and misplacing his trust in himself. I can't, your highness. He describes his condition as, I'm I'm heavy in mouth or heavy in tongue. And some think this expression means like a stutter or a lisp. Or in speaking impediment. Some believe it's to be he no longer remembers Egyptian after 40 years in the wilderness to be able to speak the language anymore. But then Moses has the audacity to blame God for his inabilities to be a convincing orator or speaker as he says, I've been like this since yesterday, three days ago, to the time you first spoke to me. My speech impediment, your problem. You made me this way is what he says to him. (laughs) And the Lord, in his slowness of anger, reminds Moses who it was that made that mouth and every mouth as he lists worse ailments like muteness or blindness or deafness. He says, I made these things happen. 
All of these things, apparently on first glance, don't seem good to be blind or to be deaf or to be mute. But things that God in his sovereign will can work good through. The Lord says in verse 12, I will be your mouth. I'll be with your mouth. Where a good stammerer can display the stunning glory of God. Where our weakness can put front and center his strength. It's a beautiful thing. But Moses still in verse 13 pleads, Oh, your majesty, please send another wordsmith. Send another preacher. The Lord is slow to anger, but that does not mean he doesn't get angry. And the Lord's flaring nostrils grow. And yet, he's still abounding in steadfast, committed love for his people. As he says to Moses, I will grant you Aaron to do the talking. Aaron is not the first choice of faith. Aaron's going to be a mixed bag, you'll see later on. But the Lord says, you, Moses, are still my representative. You will still be my mouth. You will still be as God to Aaron. But Aaron will serve as your mouthpiece, as your prophet. But as much as Moses still wanted to refuse the call, God would not take his no as a solution. I use the weak things of the world, a shepherd with a possible speech impediment, to shame the strong. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, when you hear Paul speak in Romans, you probably think of him as one of the best orators and writers and speakers, right? But he wrote in 2 Corinthians saying, even though I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Paul had seen and known the wonder of Christ's resurrection. And one commentator says the message that he's seen is so much more important than the man who's speaking it. Paul was also given a thorn in his life, which he pleaded that the Lord would take away. But that thorn remained there. Moses' speech impediment probably remained there so that God's grace could be seen as enough. God's power could be made perfect in Moses' and Paul's and our weakness. Friends, this is an easier question. What abilities and gifts do you have that God has given to you? Use those gifts to the fullest potential to display the glory of God. But friends... What disabilities, what deficits do you have that God has given to you? Use them to display God's fullest glory. I've told you more than enough times, friends, how I was puking by the porcelain in moments of intense paralysis and doubt that I should be the one to plant or pastor a church And look where I am. I'm standing behind a pulpit, not in my strength, never in my strength, but only so that the power of God might be heard through my heavy tongue and my insecure mouth. I am the Lord who made every mouth. Use everything I have, Lord, the good, the bad, the ugly, to display your glory and your grace. I am safe and I am saved because my mouth you made. We are all called to take our disabilities, even our deficits, and display God's glory through them. Finally, 
I am the Lord who fathers his firstborn. Verses 18 to 31. Moses is a blame shifter. We see that. Moses is radically insecure. And Moses, like us, lacks courage. He's still doubtful of the idea that the Lord is committed to being with him or that anyone would believe his mission that he was on from God. He's like a blues brother. I'm on a mission from God. And notice what he says to his father-in-law, who he's worked for for 40 years and who's a priest. Notice what he says to him. Does he tell him about the call that he's been given by God? No, he says, let me go and see if my brothers are still alive in Egypt. He hides the fact that God has called him on mission to confront Pharaoh and redeem a nation that the Lord has promised already is still alive. He already knows they're alive. The Lord brings correction. In verse 19, he says, in essence, it's time to go, not to see if the Hebrews are alive. Moses, you already know they're alive. But the people who are trying to kill you are dead. So it's time to go. And in an image so similar to a pregnant Mary and Joseph making their way out of Egypt toward Bethlehem with a little stick in hand that would change the world, Moses, his wife, and his firstborn son ride a donkey to the land of Egypt to deliver a people from Pharaoh. Pharaoh, whose heart God would harden. It's a theme of God's sovereign hand, which we'll discuss later in the book, but God is hardening Pharaoh's heart so that we can see his heart for his people. And so the question I want to ask is, who are these people that Moses is sent to deliver? The Lord gives a description not yet found in the scriptures up until this point to describe his people. He says, tell Pharaoh that these people are my son, my firstborn Exodus, friends, is a story of sonship, of a father taking care to save and make safe his children, of rescuing not just slaves, but sons, of freeing not a lovely people, but a people who are loved. Pharaoh thought of Israel as expendable. The Lord thought of Israel as expensive. They are worth a great price. And he orders Moses to say to Pharaoh in 23, if you refuse to let my firstborn precious go, I will kill yours. This is like Liam Neeson in Taken. He's going to extreme measures to get back his own. And it's going to be bloody. And that's where this crazy Old Testament twist in verses 24 to 26 can completely catch us off guard. On their way to Egypt, the Lord confronts him and seeks to kill him. It, what is going on? Is this Mo, are you, you going to kill Moses if you just called him to Egypt? Some believe it's Moses that's the him that's going to be killed. Some think, myself included, that the him is Moses' firstborn son. Moses' doubt in the great I am has actually played out and how he's fathered his firstborn. Firstborns in Scripture belong to the Lord. Firstborn sons belong to the Lord. And what do we know of Moses' firstborn son up to this point in this story? What do we know? It's the one thing we know. He's not circumcised. And that is a serious offense, a deadly offense to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
So much more serious than Moses' reluctance to heed the call. No, God was able to adapt that one. This one, no, there's death involved with this one. Why? Because circumcision and the blood that comes with it is a mark of who is and who isn't God's own. It's a mark of God's people, of being a Hebrew. And Moses did not mark his son with that mark. Moses was called to lead the way of the Lord that could only come through blood. Without the shedding of blood, the scripture says, there's not the forgiveness of sins. And circumcision was the mark of blood and the mark of forgiveness. Without that mark, in the presence of a holy I am, a sinful person is not safe and not saved. They're under wrath. They're separated from God. Blood is needed. So they're subject to the penalty of death. And I believe it's going to be his son that's going to die. Some believe Moses is going to die. Moses' firstborn or Moses' death was going to happen because there was no blood covering these people. If not, again, for a woman who remembered the covenant promises of God to bring about a deliverer. Someone who would be God's mouthpiece and saying to God's people, kill a lamb, put the blood on the door, and the firstborn's going to be spared. She pled the blood bought promises of God by herself. She wasn't supposed to. Someone else was supposed to do that. Moses was supposed to do that. Circumcising her son and touching Moses' foot to say, you are the husband of God's people by way of blood. Blood is going to be the way that this happens, that we're safe and we're saved. And this gospel journey into Exodus begins as Aaron meets Moses along the way, as the people believe through the words that Moses speaks, through his mouth, through God's mouth, and then the wonders done through that staff that I am the Lord. He loves his firstborn so much that he would hear their cries, come down to visit them, and have blood shed on the doorposts so that they could be safe and they could be saved. Firstborns, like I said, belong to the Lord because firstborns are a sign pointing to another firstborn. The firstborn of faith, Jesus Christ, the wonder of wonders, the maker of the mouth, the bridegroom of blood. Jesus, unlike Moses and unlike us, was not a blame shifter. He was a blame taker. He never doubted God's will. He willingly chose, not mine, but yours be done. And he took every one of his family's punishment for sin onto himself. Jesus, unlike Moses and unlike us, was secure in who God called him to be. A servant who by human estimation, Scripture says, Jesus had no form or majesty that we should want to look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He wasn't the best speaker but he spoke with God's word and with an authority that made people wonder, where is that authority coming from? Jesus, unlike Moses and unlike us, he was courageous. He was willing to be pierced as the bridegroom of blood, the lamb whose blood would remain on the doorway of each one of our hearts. Colossians 2 says this, in Christ also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, 
having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful, wondrous working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus, this firstborn, is our way to the father of the firstborn. Jesus is our Moses, who visited us as his people, saw and suffered our misery so that we, God's rescued firstborn children, could be saved. If I am the Lord is with me, then I am safe and I'm saved. We began the sermon talking about that bucket of the well. And how if you looked at that bucket all weathered and wooden and dried up with all the slats and spaces in between and not even able to hold water, we could look at it and doubt that's not going to do anything. But a wise man came upon that man the holding the well and said, no, you need to drop it in the water for a few days. Let it marinate in the water for a while and watch what happens. What happens when you put dried, weathered wood into the water for a while? It expands. And as he pulled the bucket out, it was filled with cool, drinkable water. Friends, that's us. We have God's Spirit now to expand us to allow us to do things dead sticks of wood could never do so that others might also drink of the goodness of God. If I am the Lord is with us, then we are safe and we are saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you for its work in our lives. We pray that it would do a work, a wondrous work in us, that as we know we have your spirit, that we would not look at our stature or our status as the thing that gives us power. No, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. So help us to be holders of water, to be washed in the work of Jesus Christ through his blood and through the resurrection, that we are cleansed and we are clean and we are yours to be used as you see fit. Remove our doubts and help us trade our doubts for a trust in you, a trust that supersedes every other doubt. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.